So this morning we're going to be talking about uh, the Christian response to the hookup culture. Uh, the way this is going to be laid out, the, the way we're going to go about this is in the front half. Because of how uh, broad of a topic this is, we're going to have the front half be largely devoted to statistics, um, views of culture, and uh, various quotes, perhaps. Um, we will not engage in any uh, negative views yet. We won't be tearing down the hookup culture up front. I just want to present it and present it in three aspects. Uh, and there will be questions throughout. <clears throat> we live in a world... Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. The purpose of this paper and presentation is to define and explain hookup culture and its contributors, and then explain the Christian response, or Christian position and response to it. We live in a culture, and I would go as far as to say as a world, that is obsessed with sex. It's in our music, our dancing, our movies and conversation. It's even in our burger ads. If you want to learn about sex, there's countless books. If you want sex tips, there's an uncountable amount of magazines. Sex is everywhere. So I want to begin with asking, what is it that makes sex so appealing? We've all heard the, the phrase sex sells. Why is that? Um, I think it's just, in our culture, it's like glorified. Like, especially as a, if you're a guy, like if you get, have sex, that's when you become a man. And, it's, and also, like, just generally, men are, like, I guess, drawn to it more so. So the idea of like, having sex is included in being like cool and accepted and successful, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I, was, I think I saw on a bulletin board one day I was driving in Houston. I think it was around the time the movie The Four Year Old Virgin came out. Mm-hmm. He says, if you're a virgin, call us, we can help. So that's the way the world looks at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah the world views sex as uh, maybe the ultimate goal in life, as much sex as possible. Um, it's also viewed as maybe the most healthy obsession uh, compared to money or drugs. Um, it's like in our individualistic culture, we seek like pleasure, especially for ourselves, and I think sex is like kind of that ultimate pleasure to seek. So I think a lot of people seek it for that as well as why it's so popular. Yeah, ultimate pleasure. I think as far as the sex sells thing, um, in advertising, you're trying to look for something that everybody can relate to, and sex is something everybody can relate to. Yeah, because rich or poor, uh, Christian, non-Christian, no matter your view. Uh, Maybe it's in different contexts, but sex is part of your life, no matter where you're from. Harold? Building on uh, everybody can relate to it, in our culture, it's not wrong. It's also not right. It's just kind of viewed as something that is and that we all partake in. It's much like drinking water, um, oversimplifying it there a little bit, but it's just something you do. Yeah, it's just natural. It's just part of life. That's all it is. So we need a working definition of hookup culture. A hookup culture is one that accepts and encourages casual sexual encounters, including one-night stands and other related activity, without necessarily including 
emotional bonding or long-term commitment. So that's, that's especially where we're trying to hit. We're not necessarily um, looking at sex in a committed relationship outside of marriage. We, we will be looking at that, but the primary focus is the casual sex without the emotional bonding that kind of relates to the personhood theory of body is one thing, soul slash mind slash personhood is a whole nother, another uh, area. To begin, on hookup culture, I have a, a few quotes that I would like to share with you, or a few statistics. Uh, these were done uh, in a survey report done on APA.org, and this is what it, this is where, where the results are the conclusion. It said, hookups, or uncommitted sexual encounters, are becoming progressively more ingrained in popular culture, reflecting both evolved sexual predilections, which is preferences, um, trying to think of the proper word, so I'm just not going to say anyway, but just sexual preferences, whether that be fetish. Um, and sexual scripts. Hookup, hookup activities may include a wide range of sexual behaviors such as kissing, oral sex, penetrative, penetrative sex, and the like. However, these encounters often transpire without any promise of or desire for a more traditional romantic relationship. A review of this literature suggests that these encounters are becoming increasingly normative among adolescents and young adults in North America, representing a marked shift in openness and acceptedness of uncommitted sex. What has caused this shift in openness for uncommitted sex or casual sex? Uh, sexual revolution in the 60s. Sexual revolution in the 60s. Which do you mind explaining uh, briefly what that is? Uh, yeah, sure. Basically, it was a generational uh, rebellion against kind of norms of dating and commitment in relationships. Yeah. Thank you. What else? I think uh, personhood theory, what you were talking about, had a lot to do with it. And it's, it's uh, all over our media. Uh, I studied criminal justice, and I had to take a media course. And they talked about uh, how the media uses this idea or this thing called framing to shape the mind of people, to get people upset or in uproar all of these things and I think that when it comes to even this, it's all it's all there and it's a tactic. Yeah. Here? Um, in a sense it's sort of like a drug, like when you start experimenting with it more and more, you start you want like that high again, especially if you're doing it without the way God intended it in a marriage, if you're just doing it just for pleasure. It's never gonna get good that first time so you're trying to add new things or try new things and you might talk about with pornography and stuff. That's like kind of what it's based off of. It like it starts and then it gets more and more extreme into these really horrible fetishes of all these different things. And it's kind of you're become addicted and you just only want the next yeah different thing. Yeah, I think having it having sex in our media has told us from a very young age, especially those of us who are younger, maybe have been born in the '90s or later, 
that sex is a part of your life and sex is very normal. Um, and then, obviously, pornography and things like that just makes it go farther. Uh, Nancy Piercy, who wrote Love Thy Body, said this about hookup culture. She said, hookup culture rests on the assumption that sex can be purely physical, cut off from the whole person, without any hope of love or commitment. And lastly, um, from that same report that I referenced earlier, uh, attitudes, the attitude towards casual sex, towards hookup culture, is well known, and that's general openness or that is harmless. But the reasons for casual sex, uh, the motivators, were often unknown until uh, the conclusion of this study. What they said is both genders uh, expressed and emphasized intra-individual factors or individuals, or sorry, factors within themselves, such as sexual desire, sexual experimentation, physical pleasure, um, or alcohol use. So basically, I just wanted to do it, or I was drunk. Those are basically the two reasons given by both genders. Men, however, uh, said that a big reason for their pursuit of casual sex was status enhancement or peer pressure, um, or attractiveness of their sexual partner. And women, oddly enough, said that they had casual sex with the increase increased probability of long-term commitment from a sex partner. In other words, women said that they had casual sex in order to find someone to be with for a long time, which seems like a paradox to us. Yeah. One, we talked a little bit about what is what has caused the shift in openness towards uh, hookup culture. And there's three factors that I want to talk about. Because the main reason that many of us can cite for uh, the increase of a hookup culture is the internet. The internet. Because the internet brings three things. It brings accessibility. It brings affordability. And lastly, anonymity. Or you're anonymous. That's much easier for me to say. Basically, the internet, and this is not just with pornography, this is also, uh, we see this with hookup apps as well. If you're behind a screen, you're anonymous. No one knows who you are, no one knows what you're looking at, no one knows what you want. Affordability, uh, I, I don't have a statistic, but a majority of pornography can be accessed for free if you just have internet access or, or data. And accessibility, um, if you're anywhere with one of these, or a computer, or uh, anything, I'm smart fridge, whatever else. <laughs> anything that has access to Wi-Fi or data, you can you can get pornography or hook up with somebody. 
And that leads us to our three contributors slash aspects. I had a hard time naming this because these three things are contributors. They perpetuate the hookup culture, but they are also in and of themselves aspects of the hookup culture. The first one is pornography. And like I said at the beginning, we're just going to be stat statistic heavy from this point on for a little bit. It is recorded, though it is unknown because of the secretive nature of pornography, that the pornography industry brings in anywhere from $6 billion to $15 billion annually. Um, just for you to have some sort of reference, if it is closer to $15 billion, which most, if not all, people do believe it is closer to that number, that would be more than Hollywood, more than the NFL, and more than Netflix making it one of, if not the most lucrative business in America. The large majority of pornography viewers are men, with women uh, tending to read graphic novels instead. Which brings us to our definition. Uh, you may have heard this phrase. It was coined by Justice Potter Stewart in um, a court case that was centered around pornography. and He, he said, I know it when I see it. That's how he said we know what pornography is. And while I think that's true for the large majority of us, for the purpose of this presentation, we need a working definition, which is printed or visual material containing the explicit description or display of sexual organs or activity intended to stimulate sexual excitement. And so why I bring that up, why I want to point out printed and description is Many times people view reading graphic romance novels, such as Fifty Shades of Grey, as not pornography, because you're not seeing anything. But by its very definition, just printed or the description of sex and or sex organs is pornography. Uh, it is reported that in 2015 there were two billion searches for pornography. 90% of boys and 60% of girls are exposed to some sort of pornographic material by age 18, which, to be honest, um, with our movies and TV shows, it could be very well more closer to 100% of people. Most men uh, report being exposed to pornography in some sort, whether it was a calendar or a video, uh, before the age of 12. Pornography is far more easily accessible than drugs, even for underaged teens, and it's often free and easy. What is the negative repercussions of pornography being so accessible and so affordable? I think since, uh, that was a question, correct? <laughs> okay. I think since Seeing its advancement in the technological era that we're in now, um, you know, marriages and other things have really suffered because of that. And just relationships in general, when it comes to intimate relationships, they've suffered greatly because of that. Yeah. Harold? Um, pornography has taken the place of sex. Um, 
and therefore promoted sex in, in a new way that it's more powerful than love. Yeah. And so now instead of sex being a outpouring of your love, sex is just dwelling in the fact of personal pleasure. Yeah. And so a culture in general now has completely redefined what love is and what sex is based on those terms. Yeah. And that's all good stuff, which we'll talk about later. I mean more, what is the danger of pornography being so accessible? Um, because generally for most addictive material, there's an age limit, like 18. But like young children are being exposed to addictive, like it is addictive, pornography. Everyone who studied pornography knows it's addictive like any drug. Your body gives off drugs like when going through all this. So like the fact that it's so accessible even for young children who don't know the repercussions, don't know the dangers of it, it's very dangerous that it's accessible everywhere, anywhere, really to any age. Yeah, yeah and many people even stumble upon it. They're not even searching anything. They just fall upon it. Um, the danger that comes with pornography being so accessible and so affordable in many cases, if not all cases, free if you choose, is that other substances like alcohol or drugs, you have to pay for them. You have to have some sort of way to pay for them, which more often than not keeps it out of reach of children. But pornography, if it's free, is open to any and all and can get people addicted as young as you want to talk about, pretty much. And that's, that's the true danger is, while other drugs such as cocaine or marijuana and things like that, at least they have the money factor that can keep people at bay for a short time. Pornography has no, no doors. It's open to all. How is it viewed in our society? Well... CovenantEyes.com reports that more than 90% of teens and adolescents are at least neutral when talking about pornography. Many are encouraging of pornography or think that it's beneficial, but at the very least, 90% of people in our culture feel that the viewing of pornography is harmless at worst. In fact... Most people aged 13 to 24 view littering or not recycling as worse than viewing pornography. And some, like uh, Dr. Gad Sad, G-A-A-D, S-A-A-D, believes that the consumption of pornography is not only harmless, but beneficial. He wrote in his article on Psychology Today that, well, he wrote this. Now here's the kicker. A positive correlation was obtained between the amount of hardcore pornography that was viewed and the impact of the benefits reaped. The positive correlation was found in both genders. In other words, the more one watched porn, the stronger the benefits for both sexes. There you have it. And here, probably the most troubling statistic for me is that only 7% of churches, and this is not Church of Christ, Methodist, this is any and all Christian church, only 7% of Christian churches reported having programs that helped with those who struggled with pornography. So apparently, society views it 
as harmless or beneficial, and apparently the church is kind of following suit, viewing it as harmless. Michael Kimmel, in his book called Guyland, says this about pornography. The time-honored way for a guy to prove that he is a real man is to score with a woman. It indicates both his desirability and his virility and proves that he's succeeding in the often complicated task of attaining manhood. The problem, however, is that for guys, girls often feel like the primary obstacle in proving manhood. They are not nearly as compliant as they would like them to be. By declining guys' sexual advances and not allowing guys to use them as currency, they are often as much of a threat to masculinity as they are a booster. This is why pornography is so appealing to guys. The pornographized woman's middle name is compliance. In other words, pornography is the easy way out. Pornography is the easy way to get what you are seeking to obtain. So my question for you all is, why is pornography viewed as harmless? Why does society, and uh, sadly the church in a way, view pornography as harmless? Eric? It doesn't hurt anyone. I'm not hurting anyone else. It's just me alone. I'm not hurting anyone, or that's a common excuse, it's mm-hmm. just me alone in my room or whatever, so it doesn't affect anyone else. Yeah. The same reason, sorry, drug use, or uh, to a point, or drinking or alcohol, that it's not, feels good, do it, you know, and why would that be harmful if it feels good? Yeah. You know, they don't, yeah. If that's what you want to do, why is it bad? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Harold? Okay. In the uh, production side of it, um, we look at all these typically women who are in the industry and we see that, well, they made the choice, so that means they're no, no longer a person. It doesn't matter if they're being abused mm-hmm. and destroyed. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the big thing is it's harmless and especially for those who maybe struggle with that, it's a healthy way of getting release or a healthy way of venting, if you will that wouldn't you much rather a guy view pornography than assault a woman? I think that's the overall consensus of society, is that you're not hurting anybody because you're just watching something. The second aspect or contributor of hookup culture that we're going to talk about today is sexting. Uh, it's a little blurry, but maybe I had to add that uh, that block. <laughs> it was much skinnier than that. Uh, but sexting is defined as sending or posting sexually suggestive texts, images, including nude or semi-nude photographs. It was reported in an MTV poll conducted in 2009, that more than a quarter of all young people sext or send uh, sexual texts. Um, in my opinion, based on my experience in, in school, that might be a little low, to be honest. And half of those surveyed in that survey said that they didn't see it as a big deal. 
15% of those girls that were surveyed said that they were either forced or coerced into sending sexts. And 17% of the people who received sex reported that they passed them on. They cited reasons as they were showing off their achievement of receiving a sext, um, simply that other people wanted to see, or, sadly, that they were just bored and wanted to send it on. The problem with sexting, or the contradiction in my opinion, is that while many teens see sexting as okay, uh, adults do not see sexting as okay. In fact, in most if not all states, if you send or if you take or send on a sexual picture of an underage of a minor, you are, are labeled as a sex offender and you may face prison time. So adults see that as very serious. But why, why is it that sexting is viewed as a problem or viewed as wrong, but pornography is okay? What aspect differentiates the two? Here. We uh, have restored the human factor back to sexting. We have a face, a name, and a social security number that goes with that person. Okay, yeah, you can't disassociate. Yeah. Ian? I was just going to say it's somebody you know. Somebody you know. Seen around. Mm -hmm. You could argue, oh, they're not getting paid for it. Like, people in pornography are getting paid and all this, so it's like their job is okay, they're doing it. But this is like a minor, mm -hmm. especially because they may not understand what's going on or the implications it may have on their life. Yeah. And some might argue that it's because they're underage, that they're minors, that's why it's wrong. And I wholeheartedly agree with that, but the problem also comes with uh, the subgenre known as revenge porn, which is where uh, people will post the nudes or the sex that they receive from their significant others and post them on sites, usually after they are dumped. And that is illegal. So what makes that illegal? Yeah, it's, it's slander, maybe, or uh, it can ruin the reputation. Simply, probably, because they, we know their name. We can't disassociate with someone that we know. We can't look at a nude picture of them necessarily on a screen and disassociate as we can with uh, actresses in the porn industry who often use a fake name. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you mentioned it already a little bit, but along with that comes consent. Mm -hmm. Actresses give consent in their contract, whereas um, revenge posting, revenge porn is obviously not given in consent. And I think that's, as far as like the legal standpoint of it, that's where most cases are made. Mm -hmm. Because you can post revenge porn without even that name and still go to jail for it because of like, lack of consent. Yeah, and here's the argument against that is that the people who did post it said that it was consensual because it was sent to them. And once it's sent to them, it's in their possession. They should be able to do whatever they want with it. And uh, I don't know that that's held up in court, but it is a view as seen by society that the person who sent it should have known better than to send it. Uh, 
in a book on sexting, the author said that sexting is not a problem that can be solved by lawmakers. So basically what she's saying is even if you make laws against it, even if you label those who do it sex offenders and give them jail time, it's not going to solve the problem. Now here's, I don't want to talk into it because we will talk into it later, but the best solution they gave, the only solution they gave was to teach teens self-respect. That's how society wholeheartedly believes that sexing will be solved is if you teach teens self-respect. And lastly, the third aspect we'll be looking at, uh, and possibly uh, the largest aspect, is casual sex. By definition, though it may not need one, uh, casual sex is the, the sexual acts, whether that be whatever, oral sex, uh, consensual sex, well, it's always consensual sex, uh, kissing, whatever, first, second, third base, however you want to label it, any and all sexual activity outside of committed relationships without necessarily the emotional strings it is what it would be defined as. Whether or not this is true, uh, I, do, I do tend to believe it, but it says, one stat said, 80% of all college students reported sexual activity outside of committed relationships. And I think if you look at our media, if you look at where we put our money to, the kinds of movies we, we see, the kind of apps we download, I, I believe that's supported, that uh, a large majority of society is into uncommitted sex, casual sex. There are there's not that many more statistics that are need for that, needed for that because 80% of all college students is a pretty troubling, pretty troubling statistic that most of our culture, most of our world is engaged in casual sex. We are definitely the minority. In that same book, uh, Guy Land by Michael Kimmel, he talks later uh, while he was interviewing a college student in Cambridge, a very prestigious school, and he was interviewing a student, and the student said this, you can look, you, the past saying was, you can look, but you better not touch. Well, around here, it's you can touch, but you better not look, as in look for a girlfriend. They decided that at this university, at Cambridge, they were far too busy for relationships, far too busy to even think about marriage, but sex was okay, so the mantra was, you can touch, but you better not look. And that's often uh, what people will say is, the reason they have casual sex is that they're looking for the intimacy, they're looking for the pleasure that comes with sex, but they're not looking for the relationship, they're not looking for devoting time to that, because they're simply too busy. Society, by and large, wholeheartedly encourages casual sex. Uh, one example, you may recognize him if you've seen How I Met Your Mother, but uh, his name's Barney Stinson, and he's what I'm going to dub today as the hookup culture representative 
in Hollywood. <laughs> See, Barney, throughout the whole show, his entire character is essentially him dressing up like that and hooking up with women. He's, uh, at one point, if I remember right, he has a book. And I think he has 1,000 women that he slept with. And he has each and every one of their names. Basically, this is a character that represents hookup culture and maybe what many men aspire to be. Here's some quotes by him. The only reason to wait a month for sex is if she's 17 years and 11 months old. So basically what he's saying is, there's no reason that you should go that long without sex unless it's not legal. This one, I'm sorry for the, for the language, but it is, it is applicable and shows really what this show's all about and who he's all about. You know who is confused? Bimbos. They're easily confused. It's one of the thousand little things that I love about them. I love their vacant, trusting stares, their sluggish, unencumbered minds, their unresolved daddy issues. And for those who aren't aware of bimbo, is often for, it's a derogatory term for uh, a woman, specifically a woman that's probably slept with a lot of men. So what he's saying is, you know what I love about women? Is that they're dumb and they have daddy issues, so that means that they're going to have sex with me. And this is, this is what hookup culture is. It's represented as glamorous. He's wearing a suit. He has a lot of money. He has sex. I mean, if he's had sex with a thousand women, he's having sex at least a few times a week. And that's what many men inspire to be. They see that and they say, hey, that's a cool dude. That's a cool guy right there. Because that's what our culture views as okay. And in that same show and many, many, many other shows, any time that a character has gone weeks or months without sex, it's always described as they are in a rut and they need to have sex ASAP. Uh, that episode is always devoted to showing how they got him uh, laid, as it were. And lastly, in hookups, what perpetuates casual sex, I'm sure many of you are familiar, five minutes, is Tinder and Grinder and all the apps that are like that. Hookup apps make casual sex more accessible than it has been in the last few centuries. I won't say ever because if you look at Corinth, I mean they had prostitutes every single night and it was your worship. So I won't say that now more than ever, but I will say now more than the last few centuries. It's more accessible than it ever has been. And now we really need to move. <laughs> The Christian response to the world first. The purposes of sex. Genesis 37, if you're not familiar, that's where that's the story of Judah and Tamar. And though it is ugly, we see the purpose of sex, or a purpose of sex, is procreation. Or to continue your lineage. And that's the reason I chose that over some other ones is Judah's son was killed by God because he refused to procreate with his brother's wife after she had passed. And it just shows that a purpose of sex 
is procreation. And Song of Solomon, not necessarily citing any verse, the whole book just talks about intimacy between a husband and wife. And that's truly what sex is for. That's why God gave us sex, is procreation and intimacy between a husband and wife. Uh, I think all of us were in Charles Spears' Christian home class, and he said that sex is God's wedding gift to the married couple. That's what it's for. Sex in the Bible. In Genesis 2.24, we're all familiar with that, but the, the, they shall leave their parents and come together as one flesh. And in 4.1, that's when Adam and Eve, that's when it says Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived Cain and Abel. And in 24.67, it's maybe a little bit of a reach, but uh, that's when Isaac finally meets Rebecca, and he takes her as his wife. And it says that he took her into her tent, which can be an innuendo, and it says that he was comforted for his mother's death. And that, that is all seen as good and godly. Sinful or immoral sex, um, there's an abundance. But again, in Genesis 37, at the end, our... Genesis 38, there's nothing in 37 Joseph, yeah. Yeah, Genesis 38, we'll talk about that, because it seems like what's going on there, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. Genesis 37, when Judah finds out that Tamar is pregnant, and it says, Tamar is pregnant, and she's pregnant from him. It's not in 37, it's in 38. Oh, I'm sorry. So I got the wrong chapter. So 38, that's all about Tamar is pregnant from immorality and and what does Judah say? He says, bring her out to be burned. So sexual immorality is condemned until he finds out that it is his child and we know this is just a side note that God still uses that for the good. He uses that line, that child, and that's where Jesus comes later. Genesis 37, Joseph and Potiphar's wife Though there was no immorality that actually happened... That's 39. 39 is commended because uh, Joseph... Yeah, 39, I'm sorry. Though he is tempted, though Joseph is tempted, he flees and he says, how can I sin against God? Sexual immorality is not a sin just against yourself. It is also a sin against God. Lust... Matthew 6, 22-23 talks about how the eye is the lamp of the body, so be careful what you take in. Job 31, Job says that he has made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look upon a maid. And 2 Samuel 11, through 11, 1 through 4, that was Ian. He talked about, uh, Ian gave me that. And that's when uh, David it goes on the roof and he sees Bathsheba. And when he sees Bathsheba and he lusts after Bathsheba, that's when all the tr- that leads to all the trouble. If he would have just walked away, nothing would have happened, but he lusted. And so that, of course, applies to sexting and pornography. Response to the sin, uh, due to time, I don't have a ton of time to talk about this, but firstly, pornography is a huge issue. 
We talked about it a little bit earlier with Harold and Owen that it is not harmless. First, we see that 56% of all divorces happened because one spouse or the other, almost always the man, had an obsessive tendency towards pornography. So it breaks marriages. 33% or excuse me, 33 studies show that exposure to pornography increases aggression and including both in violent fantasies and actual violent assaults. So another Covenant Eyes did a study and said that over 50% of all pornography contains violence and that perpetuates violent fantasies and violent uh, actions, assaults. There's also an increased negative attitude towards women and decreased empathy for victims of sexual violence. In other words, when they hear of a rape, when they hear of sexual assault, that's when you hear the comments like, well, she was asking for it. Uh, She should have not worn that, things like that. And most men reported being less satisfied with with their partner's physical appearance, sexual performance, and level of affection and expressed a greater desire for sex without emotional involvement. In other words, I think it's said really well by uh, fightthenewdrug.org. They say porn kills love. And I believe that's very true from the statistics. And that's aside from possible psychological and depressive tendencies that uh, can develop as a result. And it hurts the producers. Uh, For more information, look at fightthenewdrug.org. There's many stories about violence and sex addiction, drug addiction, suicide attempts from actresses and producers in the pornography industry. And what the effect on our society for men and boys, especially in the church, is that They are unable to effectively lead their home and children because they are trained to fulfill any and all desire slash lust by another's expense, often no matter the cost. How can we lead the church? How can we lead our families if we are so obsessed with fulfilling our desires no matter what? And often crippling the ability to have healthy relationships. In Genesis, and this is in Just out of time, just so you know. Yeah. I've already gone like three minutes past okay. 40 minutes. I'm sorry. I spent too long on questions. Christian views Genesis 4, 4 through 7. Sin is crouching at your door, and it does not seek. I'm not quoting. It doesn't seek your benefit. It seeks to kill you. And Galatians 5, 19 through 20. Uh, we are new creations. It's basically what I want to say is that sin is bad, God is good. Response to the sinner, God loves you. We can see in these verses that Jesus sat with sinners and he says that the ill need a physician, not the healthy. In John 3.16, God died for you, or Jesus died for you. In Romans 5.6-8, he died for you even when we were still sinners. And we were like you. We were in sin, but we love, we're new creations now, and we love you too. 
Only God can give you a fulfilling life. Uh, I'll close with this and then a conclusion. It says, The revelation is for man, the disclosure of his own life. Man is made aware of the unrest in his life, which drives him from one supposed satisfaction to another, never letting him obtain the final fulfillment until he finds the water of life. Pornography, casual sex, romance cannot give you a fulfilling life. Only God can. In conclusion, even though it's in our church, we cannot stand to let it dwell in our church. We need to take a stand and address sexual immorality, whether that's in casual sex or whether that's in pornography. The people who are going through this need your help. They need us to guide them and counsel them and tell them that it's okay, but we need to fix it. Sorry I took so much time, and that is the end.